Hello, everyone. Hope everybody is well. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Unplugged Podcast. I am your host, Randy Rose. And today I'm joined by retired basketball athlete, uh, but current entrepreneur, Malcolm Lemons. Malcolm, welcome to the show. Appreciate you having me, Randy. Uh, thanks so much for joining, man. I see you on LinkedIn, dropping the, you know, the fire gems uh, on what's happening in the world. You know, it's a, a day and age where every day we open up our phones and someone's making a killer deal or there's 30 athletes investing into one deal or, you know, one athlete is, is here, one athlete is there. You know, there's so much going on, right? right. There's so much going on, but we should be at home. So, um, you know, scrolling on my LinkedIn and, ah, you know, Malcolm just dropped the gem. Let's go leave a comment. I, I got to give you shout outs <laughs> there because, uh, man, I, I love seeing people's perspectives on, on different things that are happening. You know, I uh, just watched the, the Joe Budden podcast and he was talking about the Jay-Z deal. But the way, you know, yep. what he was talking about, he was talking about it from a different angle. And I was like, huh, I never thought of it like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's always, you know, two sides to every story. Sometimes there's six sides to a story. Um, mm -hmm. So I think storytelling is a, is a, is a big thing and is going to continue to be a big thing. And you as well, you know, as a author um, have dropped a book. So there's tons for us to unpack today, but wanted to know just, you know, where are you today? You know, how has life been since COVID has dropped? Uh, any special projects you want to catch us up on and we can jump into it. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm located in DC. This is, this is home for me. And um, you know, it, it life is, has, has definitely been different since COVID having to make some adjustments and uh, navigate, you know, being isolated and uh, adjusting to other people's schedules and, and lifestyles and things of that nature. So it, it, it's been, it's been difficult in some aspects, but you know, I'm, I'm healthy. My family's healthy. Everyone is good. And, you know, trying to keep that as the priority and, and, you know, make that uh, the, the most important thing in life. You know what I'm saying? I, I think that's the most important thing for me. So uh, all is well, I have no complaints, but as far as my day-to-day, -day, man, I'm, I'm really just trying to build athletes unheard. I think you know, uh, coming out of COVID or even, you know, what we all experienced last year dealing with COVID and social injustice and just the amount of trauma we, you know, went through. Um, I started to just read a lot of stories about athletes who were struggling, not, you know, being around their teammates, not having their sport for the first time in their life and uh, really not understanding how to deal with those emotions and feelings. And so I thought there was a major void when it came to talking about the mental health aspect. You know, we, we, we talk so much about branding and marketing and performance on, on the playing field, but who's really making sure that these athletes are able to take care of themselves outside of that. And so I felt like it was a void, a void that needed to be filled. And, um, you know, we're basically a platform that's helping to, to normalize conversations around mental health for athletes. And, you know, I'm just really excited about making an impact on that, on that front. Um, and, you know, that's, that's really where I'm at right now. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. I'm so excited for this conversation. Um, there's a, I feel there's a lot of similarities between us. You know, we're, we, we know a lot of professional athletes and we could speak from a perspective that, you know, news and media can't necessarily speak from. Um, you know, we have real life stories and experiences with a lot of these athletes. So uh, really excited to jump into it today. Um, but would love to, you know, let's, let's dive into Malcolm's background. You know, uh, what was it like growing up in, in the DMV? You know, mumbo was big, go-go dancing was big. Um, 
you know, I remember going down to Boo Williams in Virginia. I have an aunt that lives in Silver Spring. So I remember seeing Steve Francis. Um, he came to one of our courts one summer. And a couple of years later, he was in the NBA. And I was like, I, I know him. Like, I felt like I was part of his journey, although I never spoke to him. Uh, but funny thing is, uh, Steve and I just actually uh, connected uh, through Instagram. Uh, there goes technology doing what it does best, right? So we'd love to hear a little bit about your upbringing. And, you know, uh, obviously basketball was a big part of your life. But what else did Malcolm do as a kid growing up? Yeah, for sure. You know, a lot, a lot of what you're talking about taking me back, man. That's the culture right there. And fun fact, actually, uh, when I was young, me, I grew up in a single parent household, me, my mom and my brother, and we moved around a lot as, you know, when I was a kid. And so one of the people that we lived with actually was, um, you know, babysitter of Steve Francis. So I, I used to live in the bedroom that he grew up in, actually. So uh, that's that's a quick little fun fact. You got people. his hops. You have his hops. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I wish I did. Man. Jesus Christ, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> unreal, unreal. Mm-hmm. And his story is pretty crazy too. Where he came from in um in Tacoma Park, Maryland. How he got to the NBA is inspiring story, man. But you know, being from this area, it's a, it's a hotbed of hoop talent, man. I, I grew up playing with guys like Quinn Cook, uh, Victor Oladipo, Jeremy Grant. Um, the numerous, you know guys who are still playing in the league, high division one talent. So, you know, coming from this area, man, it, it really just fueled my competitive drive. And I didn't really start taking basketball uh, seriously till I got to high school. But, you know, I initially started playing um, as a way to kind of escape a lot of those, the negative situations that I was going through in my life. And I just go to the court and just shoot and just, you know, use it as a way to release my thoughts. But uh, going back to that competitive nature, man, seeing the talent around here, it really, you know, drove me and I wanted to you know play at a higher level so was fortunate enough to to go to Gonzaga College High School which is a college prep um, highly prestigious in, in DC and you know we were very very good when I, when I was there we top five in the country my sophomore year um, top 20 my junior and senior year so you know having that exposure playing at that level afforded me the opportunity to get a division one scholarship so went to Niagara University up in New York and played there for three years on and off uh, you know, went through a lot of ups and downs and ultimately ended up transferring my senior year to a school called Cal State San Marcos. And, um, you know, really just had my, 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 my mindset on becoming a professional athlete. And so, um, you know, went out there, took a leap of faith and, you know, ended up having the best year I ever had playing basketball. And that's what really gave me that opportunity to go play overseas. There's a lot to unpack there. I think, um, you know, starting basketball, taking it serious in high school that's not what you you know normally hear you know oh he grew up with the basketball at three and he had a little little tykes uh slam dunk basket um what what clicked for you um when you got to high school like was it was it just was it just the thing to do like everyone in your neighborhood if you didn't hoop like you were a nobody type thing was it you know you, you you found a new love for it like what what was that click for you I think it was definitely, you know, the, the passion for the game. I, I think I mainly saw it as a way to uh, one day provide for my family. I think a lot of kids kind of see it as that thing. Um, and so, I, I, you know, I found something that, you know, I could was willing to sacrifice and work for and put the time time in. And then also just being around players who were, who were very talented. I'm, I, I, I like to think of myself as being a natural competitor. And so, Going against guys like, you know, Tyler Thornton, who played at Duke, Cedric Lindsay, who I went to high school with, is, you know, one of the all-time leading scorers at the University of Richmond. 
um, Ian Hummer, who I think is the all-time leading scorer at Princeton, like, you know, playing against these guys day in and day out, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to get embarrassed. You know, yeah. you want to, you want to compete. And so that just forced me to, you know, put that extra time in, in the gym, you know, and I was like, you know, if I want to really play at this level and, and, you know what I'm saying, achieve this, this dream, this goal of becoming a pro- professional athlete, you know, I just got to put the, the energy and the effort in. And so that's what I did. And, you know, I think the more you play that passion grows, you know, deeper and deeper. So that's, that's how it was for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know you, you talked about going to Niagara. Niagara is right beside Toronto. Did you ever make yeah. it over here? I didn't, man. I made oh, it to Clifton Hills, which is like, right, right on the there. other side. I know, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. But you know, being a hooper, you don't got that much time to be moving. So. Off season? <laughs> I could have, man. Could have. You could have came back. You <laughs> came back to Niagara a week early. You came to Toronto for a couple of days, but it's all good, man. Toronto's not going anywhere. I'm always just trying to show love to the city. No um, you know, after your last year of, you know, university ball, um, what was next for you? Like, what was your next pivot? So after I left Cal State or Niagara? After Cal State. After Cal State, man, I, I you know, I went straight overseas that, that following August and, that opportunity came for me through a, through a coach named Gary Colson, who was actually best friends with Jerry West. He came to saw me, see me play, um, I think maybe January or February of my senior year. And he was looking to take one or two players. He was, he was becoming an assistant coach for a team in Japan. He was looking to take a couple of Americans over there with him. He saw me play and he, you know, extended the, the invite. And so I, I had an opportunity to go to go overseas, you know, before I graduated um college and you know most players they they go to exposure camps they get an agent I didn't do none of that I just trusted this this guy with my with my professional you know career and went overseas you know that that following August and how was how was how was the experience you know um you ended up going to Japan did you go to another country so that first year in Japan was terrible man (laughs) Because I'm like, I'm like, yo, bro, tell us the story. I'm like, oh, man, you probably don't want to tell us, but let me try again. <laughs> no, let's hear about it. It was terrible, man. We got over there. The general manager of the team had gotten sick, and this man was in the hospital for like a month. They thought he was going to die. And so from there, it was like nothing was in order. We weren't getting paid. I didn't have a bed. My bed wasn't ready, so I was sleeping mm. on the floor for two weeks. We were walking to practice. Um, it was bad, man. But I was like, you know – I'm a, I'm a firm believer in everything happens for a reason. And, and I was put in that position um, for, for a purpose, you know what I'm saying? So I, I toughed it out for, for several months, you know, just grinded it out, learned how to survive, learned how to get it on my own. Um, ended up leaving early my rookie year, coming back home and, and having to work, you know, to support myself. And that was the first time I was like, man, I don't know what the hell I'd be doing about if I, if I didn't have basketball. I was working jobs that I hated. Uh, retail, security, anything, you know, just to, just to make a dollar um, and, and pay for, for workouts, training and things of that nature. Um, but I, at that point, I knew what I didn't want my future to, to you know, look like uh, whenever basketball was done. But, but fortunately, I was able to get another opportunity to go back overseas that following year uh, playing in Japan. And it was it was a better experience, um, you know, off the court. Um, but, you know, it was a lot of, you know, instability and a lot of ups and downs. And I think a lot of professional athletes overseas will tell you the same. And so, you know, it was during that second year, I started, started to really think about that transition and um, really started to prepare for, 
you know, retirement and what that was going to look like. Absolutely. Absolutely. For an athlete putting it up and saying, you know what, I'm done with this. That's got to be, that's got to be one of the worst days ever um, to say that, yo, I'm done with this. I don't want to do it no more. Do you feel you had the opportunity to to end it on your own terms? Like when you were done with it, you were you like ready to be done with it? Or was it just like, yeah, this doesn't make any sense anymore. I don't want to do it. Like what was your exit strategy, if you will? So for me, you know, what really what really, you know, led to my retirement, I actually going into my my third season, I, I had an opportunity to go play in Morocco. And maybe I had to had the contract signed and everything. And I was leaving that December. And I think two or three days before I was supposed to leave, I got an email from the agent that I was working with. And he basically told me like the team didn't want me anymore. They wanted a big man. And so they basically voided my contract, canceled my flight, all that. I was ready to go. And at that point I was like, man, this, this basketball shit has been is ups and downs, man. It was just like taking a toll on me. I was, you know, obviously away from my family and I'm very close with my family. So that was tough within itself. And in my heart, man, I just felt like it was time. And, and I really tested it um by not working out for a week to see how I would feel and so I, mm. I just didn't do nothing for an entire week and didn't feel nothing I didn't feel bad about it I didn't regret it at all and I was like if I'm not willing to put the work in day in and day out because you know obviously being a professional you gotta you gotta take it seriously it's your job and if you're not willing to put that time in and that passion fades away then it's time to call it quits and so for me it was like if I'm if I'm good not working out for a week, then I don't need to be doing this anymore. I need to I need to figure out what my next plan was going to be. So, you know, I I I started to prepare a little bit earlier, and I think that helped with the transition. But I, I think it doesn't matter how how much you prepare or what you do beforehand. Every athlete will tell you that it's still going to be hard because you have your identity tied to mm-hmm. to being an athlete. It's what you've been known as. It's what, you know, you you saw yourself as for 20 plus years of your life. And so walking away from that and disassociating yourself from that is, is just it's a challenge so it was it was definitely hard absolutely it's it's also the same thing that helps us get girls growing up right right now it's now it's we don't <laughs> have it anymore <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth yeah yeah i'm a point guard baby what you what position you want to play in my life like you know <laughs> um that's real it's really real um and uh, I think that story, you know, goes to speak to um, everyone's pivot. Like the, the thing, the thing about life that I don't think people are grasping, right, is we're going to have to pivot at least 10 to 15 times minimum in our lives. No matter what you think is going to happen, it's not going to go the way you want it to go. Right. And I feel a lot of people feel like oh well it's not going the way it's it's not going the way you want it to go is is failure or my life is too hard or it's this or it's that and it's like no this is legit life like this is this is what we got to deal with and this is why I think athletes make such great entrepreneurs and I'd love to dive into you know Malcolm the entrepreneur who's you know creating a voice that every athlete has but doesn't speak about it. That's that's what I get from you, right? And you know, the unheard brand speaks to the same thing. It's you know, when when athletes came out and started talking about mental health, Demar Derozan, Kevin Love, everyone's like, "Bro, you made you made twenty million dollars last year. What? Right. 
What's wrong with you? Money, yeah. You're like, go, go pay somebody to, to figure that shit out. Like, but what's wrong? Like, let's talk about it. But like, you're good. Mm-hmm. And people don't understand. Like, nah, like I'm actually dealing with some stuff that money has nothing to do with. Can you speak to that, that, the, the, the black mental health athlete experience? hundred percent, man. I think, yeah, I, I think there's a huge misconception when it comes to, you know, people thinking that because you have this money, this attention, this notoriety that your life is supposed to be perfect. And oftentimes that's, that makes the situation worse. That, that can exaggerate, exaggerate things. And so, um, you know, for me, you know, growing up inner city, you know, you, you, mental health is, is something that was never talked about. I, I never even heard that term probably until I finished playing, you know what I'm saying? And so we, we've always been taught to be tough, to man up, you know, you can't show emotions or, or, or weakness. Then that mindset, I think is, is beneficial in some regards when it comes to being an athlete, because it keeps you focused and, and you had a tunnel vision. At the same time, when it comes to being a human being, man, that's not how we operate. That's not how people operate. We all go through shit in life. And Life is full of ups and downs. And if you don't know how to be open and transparent and talk to somebody about that, you know, it's no way you can get through. You know what I'm saying? Nobody gets through this life alone. And the the having that athlete mindset and that tunnel vision is so detrimental in other regards, man. So I think that, you know, when you have athletes like DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love and and, and Liz Cambage and, and all these different athletes who have spoken out about their struggles it opens the door for more athletes to do the same and to really show people it's like no matter how much money you make, man, it's some, some of the richest people in the world are some of the most miserable people in the world. It's not about the money. Man. And so it helps people realize that athletes are humans more than anything else, man. And they go through the same things as, as any other regular person. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we all look at athletes as these superheroes with these that can do these super humane things and LeBron being 48 years old and flying all over the place the way that he is now, uh, people, how, right? Um, People do forget that these are humans, just like everybody else. And, you know, we believe athletes are some of the most influential people in the world. And, you know, holding that crown comes with a lot of responsibility, right? You you can't really do what you want to do when you want to do it, no matter how much money you have, right? Like, being able to go to the mall to buy socks you can't do that like it, there's got to be a strategy to that that right. mentally gets consuming like it's tiring of having to figure out ways to not be seen or not be bothered or you know just try to live a regular life so um kudos to you again matthew uh, sorry malcolm kudos to you again malcolm for all of the the work that you're doing to you know bring these things to light um, would love to talk about some of the books that you've you've launched, um, taking us back to your first book. Uh, walk us through, you know, what what compelled you to start putting out books? Yeah, man. Well, I'll start by saying, man, I had no aspirations to become an author um, or a writer or anything like that. It's just something that naturally comes to me. And, and you think about when I think about putting, you know, your story out into the world, communicating with the world in any way, shape or form, you got to find a way to, to best do that and what, what suits you best. And writing is something that's just always, something I've always been good at. And so my second year, going back to my second year playing in Japan, you know, I, I get over there in the middle of the season and we got about a month long break where we weren't playing any games. We were just practicing for like an hour or two a day. And so 
I would just have the rest of the day to myself. And my first couple of weeks out there, I didn't have any Wi-Fi. Um, and so I, I sit in my crib, you know, not doing nothing, looking at the computer. And I just started to write, man, because what I didn't want to do is uh, go back to what I was doing the, the previous year, which was working jobs I hated. And so I, I really started writing as a way of trying to figure my life out mm. and, and, you know, put things together and, and reflect on like how I even got to this point. And so to make a long story short, man, I was starting to share that, share that content and the things that I was writing with other people. And a lot of people told me how inspiring my story was, how much I had to go through to actually reach that goal of becoming a professional athlete. And so, you know, I decided to, to put my story out to the world and publish that my first book, Lessons from the Game, which just, you know, talked about what I went through and some of the key lessons that I took away from basketball. And, you know, I felt like I'd be doing an injustice to athletes who were coming behind me if I didn't talk about the realities. And so um, that book, man, that was like the beginning of me starting to see myself as being more than an athlete because it opened up doors as far as media opportunities, you know, speaking opportunities. I started writing for the Huffington Post. Um, and so, you know, like I said, I never thought I'd be an author, but it's been the thing that really helped me, you know, transition, start to transition and start to figure out, you know, like I said, how to communicate my story with the world, how to put out a message, how to empower other people. So that's, that's really what led me to that first book. And then, um, publishing my second book, Impact Beyond the Game last year. Wow. So question, did you write as a kid growing up? Was that something that you enjoyed doing like this? Because I always I always look at, you know, those that stop doing something that they're really good at what their pivot is, right? You know, for me, you know, when I stopped playing um, after my last year of college, I didn't know what was next. And for me, it was, well, let me go back to what I do know. I do know how to help other people. I do know how to make relationships. I do know how to, you know, organize and so on and so forth. So all of those little skills that I had learned growing up as a kid from being a, a newspaper boy, working at McDonald's, working at the coffee shop, customer service, thinking ahead. A lot of those jobs taught me how to think ahead and how to think with process and step one, step two, step three, step four. All of those things taught me by the time I, I was done playing basketball, I was already getting ready for the next uh, venture of my career, which was, you know, managing an NBA player, but I didn't know that I was getting ready for it. Right. So I, I, I ask you, you know, as a kid was writing something that was there for you. And after going through what you went through, you tapped into, or was it something that you learned to enjoy and then further tapped into to bring you where you are today? Yeah, that's a great question. I think in hindsight, it was something that I always did, but not consciously. Um, I think whenever I was like going through something, it was either the basketball courts or I would draw. I would draw a lot when I was a kid. And so I think just being able to be creative and expressive with words or, you know, artistry is something I've, I always did outside of just being an athlete. But I didn't realize I was building a skill set or even that it was something that I was passionate about doing until I got older. So I think I think you definitely have a point there, you know, looking back that. We, we all have these talents, these skill sets that um, might have been prevalent when we were kids, but as you get older, you start to lose that or you start to forget the things that you did in your youth. When you, If you tap back into those things, those can be the exact same things that can help you create a career or 
lead you to the next idea in your life. And so I think it's, you know, valuable for every athlete to, to look back, you know, and, and really think about what are some of the things you did outside of sports? Um, because those, those can be, like I said, those can be the same things that can help you in your next career. Absolutely. You know, uh, and you talk about it in your book, Impact Beyond the Game, how athletes can build influence, monetize their brand and create a legacy. You did it, right? And you're, and you're still doing it. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the book, man. What kind of gems are in there that, you know, some little tidbits, if you were to use this as a marketing shot for, for the athletes that follow us that are looking for some motivation, uh, what, what could they find in your book? So basically, it's just a blueprint to teach athletes, you know, how to build a brand. You know, I think a lot of times when people think about branding, it's, it's about logos, graphics and social media. And while that's a part of it, a lot of it is like, how do you even lay the foundation like personal branding one on one, you know, thinking about your passions, your values, you know, what do you want to be known for? Uh, what kind of companies or opportunities do you want to partner with and align with, you know, all these different you know, questions you really have to start asking yourself before you start creating a social media strategy or you start trying to get these opportunities. You have to really understand and be self-aware enough to put together, you know, a, a strategy that's that's going to help you be successful beyond the playing field. So a lot of the book is talking about those things and really getting athletes to understand um, how much influence they have during their careers and how do you leverage that uh, to, to create options for yourself going forward. And so I talk talk about interacting with the media also, um, you know, philanthropy, uh, just a, a bunch of different tactics that I think, um, you know, athletes aren't taught throughout their careers. And I think with name, image, and likeness coming, you know, student athletes are going to have a, you know, a huge opportunity to build brands that extend, you know, a, a lifetime. And so a lot of, a lot of this book is going to apply to athletes at all levels. And I'm, I, you know, it's something that I think is is, is going to be prevalent going forward. Which is so, you know, just trying to provide a lot of insight and um, advice on some of the mistakes that I made and, and some of the things I would have did differently when I was playing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Two questions in and around that. Uh, one, you know, with, you know, NIL, name, image and likeness um, coming to fruition and giving college athletes the ability to to earn those rights and, and use them for their own likeness. Do you think that the market then becomes oversaturated? Because think about it, right? There's about 19,000 professional athletes in North America, professional athletes. So these are athletes are getting paid from the, you know, um, fan controlled football to XFL to MLS, USL, so on and so forth, NBA, about 19,000. You now bring in another 400,000 NCAA athletes. Now, not everyone's going to have a big brand like, you know, Division One athlete or a uh, big college football player or a nationally ranked swimmer. But do you think having all of these athletes now have the opportunity to gain ownership over their brand equity? Do you think one it's going to oversaturate the market. And two, do you see there being a huge gap for those athletes that don't get the same opportunities as someone, let's say, that goes to Duke or Kentucky, if you will? So to answer your first question, no, I don't. I think that the cream always rises to the top. If you're talented, if you have a, a certain unique skill, you're charismatic, you have a, a, you know, a unique personality, 
you will be found. It, it, it's no different than being an athlete. You know what I'm saying? Like there's only a certain another number of spots, but if you can break through, if you can differentiate your brand then you will find the right opportunities for you. And then you look at a local level, some of these small college towns, there's going to be opportunities for these, these lesser known athletes to partner with local brands, car dealerships, restaurants in those local towns. So I think a lot of, a lot of times when people think about NIL, you know, they think it's about endorsements and, and social media, um, you know, partnerships or deals, but there's also going to be opportunities for athletes to start their own clothing lines. You know, the barriers to entry have been, you know, removed, you know, think about how easy it is to start a Shopify site or to start a podcast. Like if athletes are talented and they can think about how they can use their, their unique talents to, to monetize their brands, there's going to be opportunities. Now I'm not saying every athlete is going to be able to make six, seven figures, but you'll be able to put some, some money in your pockets to, to do whatever. Um, if you can tap back into, you know, what makes you, you and understand how your brand can be differentiated from someone else. Now, if you're able to, to do these things, is it now on the NCAA to now provide these resources for these athletes to learn these things? Because remember, as an athlete, majority of your time as a college student, you know, some athletes have four or five classes, have basketball practice and games. Some don't have time, right? And some are still trying to be the best to obtain their scholarship. Um, could we see a world where athletes now have to choose between starting a small business while in college and their actual scholarship? So, I, I, I mean, possibly, I think that it's, it's largely on the university to provide, you know, resources, programming around financial literacy, taxes, um, you know, different things that's going to help a student athlete understand the business side of it all. Um, but I think, you know, in some regards, we're preparing these athletes for the real world. You know, this this is real life. And and if you can if you can balance your sport, your your academics and, and running a small business, then kudos to you. If no one's telling you to build your brand, no one's telling you to start a company. That option is just there if you feel like you can take advantage of it. And so I think that uh, when it comes to athletes not having time, this is I mean, like I said, no one's telling them to do it. It's just about can you maintain um, probably more importantly, prioritize, um, you know, your, you being a student athlete and having a, a side hustle and making sure that, that, you know, what I'm saying you're, you're taking care of the things that matter the most when it comes to your career, um, and, and, you know, being a successful student athlete. So. Absolutely. So from what I'm taking from this is this NIL push is for those athletes that are responsible, right? You gotta, you gotta be responsible. You gotta, not just, oh, I can get an Instagram deal. Like, no, it's, it's use it because people have fought for this for years, um, which is always duly important. Malcolm, I know you, you know, you're, you're a big uh, advocate for financial literacy. Um, you've done some work uh, in and around that space. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, why financial literacy is so important to you and why you want to share that information with the world. 
Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, you know, growing up in the in the city, man, like this, we obviously don't have any type of uh, education around financial literacy. Like, it's something that's just not taught uh, in the school system. And so, you have a lot of kids who are growing up not knowing how to manage their money and not knowing basic finances, you know, one on one. And so, you they come into the real world and they're not understanding how to pay taxes or budgeting or investing and things of this nature. Um, and so, we're, we're it, it's decreasing the wealth wealth gap. You know, you look at Black Americans. I, I think that the annual household income compared to to you know white families may be like you know one hundred and seventeen thousand to maybe seventeen thousand, um, and and it's it's increasing. And so we really have to tap back into our communities and and make sure that we're preparing these kids um, for life and how to. Uh, really decrease that wealth gap and to set up families for the future. And I, it's, it's, it's really important to me. It's, it's, it's why I've, you know, partnered with Goal Setter and what they're doing to help, you know, young Black kids start savings accounts. So anything that I can do when it comes to preparing the next generation and making sure that these kids are set up to be successful in life, um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm absolutely down for. Absolutely. And very, very important, man. Social entrepreneurship from athletes, current, former, um, is important. I know, I know we're, we're now moving from the world where professional athletes, you know, just create a foundation, you know, put money into it. There are some really, really strong and amazing foundations for athletes and their communities. Um, there's some foundations that, for lack of a better term, are, are money dumps right? It's, it's for taxes. Um, you know, some athletes use it to pay for family. They don't want to pay them out of pocket. So they'd rather pay them through the foundation. Um, but we're now seeing this shift and the seismic shift around how athletes are learning about the value of their dollar. And instead of giving someone a program, let me invest into you right? Let me, let me invest into your idea. Let me invest into something that you're building. Because as you're building it, what you'll be able to do is also bring your community around you, right? You'll be able to hire your friends, hire folks that you know. This is the type of impact that goes a lot further and also shrinks that wealth gap that you're talking about um, as we move forward. So I'm really excited to see all of the, the work that so many athletes are doing, uh, especially with the Goal Setter campaign and you know, guys like Russell Westbrook that are launching their own schools and academies and programs. It's, it's very, very inspiring, man. It's very, 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 very inspiring. And um, I gotta, you know, give, give those roses while I can, because um, it's, it's important for, for change. Advocacy is one of the biggest things, right? Mm -hmm. Activism is another big thing. And you know, jumping on this podcast, I really enjoy doing this podcast because we're literally just talking about the things that we do every day. And I'm sure to I'm sure to you, your book may not be this like, like, I'm sure people re people react to your book. And you're just like, I'm just doing what feels natural. Right, right. Exactly. And um, with creators, entrepreneurs that are I call them creative entrepreneurs. It's it's this, I'm sure you're not satisfied. Right. I'm sure there's more you want to do. There's more kids you want to touch on. And um, I believe we read, you know, you, you want to help draft one million kids to receive their first savings account and debit card. Um, that's a really, really, really big goal. And um, would love to learn more around how do you how do you how do you plan to get there? 
So as far as that that actual campaign, it's it's one million, I think, in conjunction with every we're athlete is on board. So yeah, we're goal setter. And so um, you know, we have athletes such as Harrison Barnes, Chris Paul, um, you know, Moby Okubo, who's huge in the financial literacy space for for athletes. Um, and, and what Goal Setter is really trying to do is band together uh, the star power, these athletes who have a platform and a voice and uh, want to make a difference and, and, and use those platforms to impact change on that, next, like I said, the next generation. And so um, for me personally, man, I'm starting with a, a school in, in Washington, D.C. called Stuart Hobson. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of inner city kids, kids who come from, you know, single parent households who, who don't know anything about financial literacy. And, and we're trying to you know, really get them set up with their own savings accounts and, and then make an impact from there. And so, uh, like I said before, man, to me, this is something that's really impactful um, and something I wish I would have had growing up. So that's the great thing about technology as it, as it evolves, it creates more opportunities to make a difference in our communities. Um, and Goal Setter is just one example of that, so. That's amazing, that's amazing. I know you did some work with Angel McCautry. I believe you guys were on uh, LinkedIn Live. Yeah, adding athletes and entrepreneurship. Now, Malcolm, I, I'd love to learn. You know, what does what does a what does what does a regular day look like for you? Like, what does a Monday look like for you? <laughs> no two days are the same, man. I'll tell you that first <laughs> and foremost. But um, it's 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 a lot. You know, I, I usually wake up around six thirty, six seven, and somewhere in between there. And the first thing I do, man, I check in with myself. So I'll, I'll meditate. I'll, um, you know, take some time to really get my mind straight because I think that uh, that's one of the things I, I haven't made a priority in the past is making sure that I'm I'm good mentally and ready to start the day, and I'm in a, in a good space to get things going. And then, you know, from there, I, it's a lot of you know, I, I have a team of interns that I that I manage when it comes to creating content and uh, a lot of the interviews and stories that we curate for the athletes on her platform so I'm handling a lot of that in the morning um, and then towards the afternoon man it's a lot of meetings a lot of trying to establish partnerships talking to people in the mental health vertical um, you know for athletes and, and trying to figure out different ways we can you know expand our mission and make a bigger difference in, in, you know, for athletes, uh, you know, worldwide. And so, uh, as I said before, man, no two days are the same. It's a lot of trying to figure things out and organize chaos is what I call it. Um, and so being a young entrepreneur, trying to learn my way, uh, you know, and, and figure different things out, you know, it's, 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 you know, enjoying the process and understanding that, um, things are not going to happen overnight, but, you know, taking that best, that next best step each and every day to, to make sure that I'm, I'm trying to build something that's sustainable. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the big things that you, you mentioned is checking in with yourself. I feel people, uh, entrepreneurship is hard. It's a lot of, a lot of energy, a lot of time, a lot of resourcing and bootstrapping and it's a lot of everything. And, um, I feel a lot of people fail to realize that, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup, right? right? So spending time with yourself every day, whether it's 10 minutes, whether it's 10 minutes to stretch, 10 minutes to meditate, um, and just make sure like everything, all your synapses are, are firing the way they're supposed to. Um, the other thing you spoke about is, is building your platform um, and building the athletes on her.com platform. Is that, is that, I guess, your your entity that you'll be, you know, building as a business? Are you looking to 
possibly raise money around this platform and continue to build content series or like what's what's the what's the vision for athletes unheard if you will yeah definitely i mean right now it's it's really more so about uh you know building brand awareness and, and doing a lot of storytelling, um, you know, giving athletes an outlet to talk about mental health uh, transparent, transparently and openly. Um, long-term, man, getting into more, you know, content uh, verticals and, and telling stories through various mediums. Um, we're working on a mini docu-series right now, um, you know, and then, you know, building out different ways we can just tell these athletes stories, but also, uh, looking to expand into branded content. So whether that's partnering with a company like Headspace or Calm or uh, Better Better Help and all these different apps uh, and, and platforms that are within the mental health uh, space, um, you know, I see opportunities there. So, uh, you know, bootstrapping right now, don't know if I'll be looking to raise anytime soon. Um, I, I think I have a really clear um you know, idea of where I, where I see opportunities and, and where, you know, I want this brand to go. And so, um, you know, right now, like I said before, it's a lot of trying to figure that out day to day, um, but keeping the focus on that long-term vision. Absolutely. Absolutely. Malcolm, I, I got to say, thank you so much for, for, for joining us today. Thank you for, so much for all of the work that you do in the athlete community, in the DC community, uh, the mental health community. Um, all very, very important lessons and important things that all of us go through, regardless if you're an athlete or not. Um, those, these mental health checks and giving back to our communities and uh, tapping into things that we're passionate about are, is what makes us human. And you know, the more time we could spend being a human, uh, the better our work will be. And I and I fully uh, believe that. I feel that you know, with people, we we're influenced by so much, right? You might come up with an idea that you think no one's ever heard of, but you were influenced by something else. You may not remember because your subconscious is always working, but influence is such a, is a big thing and athletes hold so much of it. And, you know, to see a, a former athlete um, giving back um, as he's growing and, you know, giving back to his his communities it's, it's very inspiring so i, I want to thank you so much for coming on today and and sharing your story um sharing your, your your knowledge your wisdom and for those that uh have not heard of malcolm's book please do uh where can we find your book malcolm uh so impact beyond the game is available on amazon i believe lessons out the game is out of print but you can get impact beyond the game on amazon awesome so amazon.com impact beyond the game my man, Malcolm Lemons, DMV hero, uh, social entrepreneur. Thanks again. 100. Appreciate the opportunity, man. No problem. Uh